The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning, as we transition into God's Word, I want to invite you to find a Bible in front of you and open it to the book of Colossians. But while you go there, I want to invite you to think with me about something. Who in your life has been a mentor to you? Who in your life has a skill that you desired? Or maybe didn't desire, maybe it was work ethic and they taught you about that, but maybe you didn't desire at one time, but as they interacted with you, it grew. What music teachers, greatly skilled, gave you all opened up a new world of music for you? What art, artists in your life, like maybe a mother or grandmother that knit beautifully and you joined in in that skills, or cooks? My grandma was famous for her pie crust. Who has come alongside of you and mentored you? My grandfather was phenomenal at filleting fish, and I would watch him at the counter, spread out the newspaper, lay down the fish, and then eventually I sort of took over and made all sorts of mistakes, and he kind of guided me through the process, and eventually I tried it. It went so-so uh, this summer. Uh, but who mentors you? Who has mentored you? Who has come alongside of you? As I thought about that question this week, I realized something. Mentors don't just give us skills. They don't just say cut here and do this and fold this back and hold it here. They don't just pass on raw skill. They give us vision. They plant seeds of confidence in us that say, hey, God grew them in that or I can grow in that. I can, I can move forward in that. They release us. They point us in a direction. Why do I say that? Because we have the privilege of coming alongside Paul. The letters that he wrote were very relational. They're very helpful for us. And Paul is an expert by God's grace in so many things. And this letter to the Colossians actually takes us places that we wouldn't think of normally. This book is filled with truths about thanksgiving and in some surprising places. It's filled with prayers of thanksgiving. And what I think God wants to do in this message and in this three-week series that we're going to conclude today on thanksgiving is to move us from places where we're not giving thanks to giving thanks for the things that we can see and, and pray for more to today Paul's going to take us to the things that we can thank him for that will never, never go away. These are the things that we're going to be thanking God for eternity, those of us that have put our faith in Christ. And the reason that that's so important is some of us have challenges, uh, small challenges, like we show up at the grocery store and the key ingredient to our Thanksgiving feast is just not there, and we have to go to several different stores to find it. For others of us, life is so hard, we don't even know, how am I going to give thanks? The things I would normally be thankful for, I can look back in history and thank God for the memories of them, but they're not there anymore, and it is so hard. How do we give thanks for the 
gifts that do not go away. And how do we even see them? God wants to bring us into the spiritual realm in this passage and see the unchanging truths, things that we need absolute divine help to see, to behold, and to affirm and give thanks to God for his kindness. And Paul is the one that's going to help us do that. Let me give you a quick helpful roadmap for today. And we're going to start in Colossians 1, verse 1 in just a moment, so you can find that. We're going to spend our time rooted in the opening two prayers that Paul has in this book. And they're going to kind of be the foundation from which we're going to travel into the letter and see different things and understand more clearly what he's done in this opening prayer. And we're going to walk alongside of him as he mentors us, as he plants a vision in us. And my ultimate goal for us is that this week we would seek to prepare and feast on Thanksgiving with others. That's where we're headed. Please look with me at Colossians 1 verse 1. And we're going to read the scripture as we go. Sometimes the prayers of Paul, I don't know about you, but when you read the prayers of Paul, they're so dense and so rich that a couple verses in your mind is like, it's gone. And so we're going to look at this carefully. Uh, So please start with me in Colossians 1 1. I did something before I read this. I did something this week that I I haven't done in a while. I, I read a little bit about how letters of Paul's day were sort of crafted. And it starts very similar to the letters of the day, and then it goes in a whole new direction. We'll look at that in just a second. Normal letters of the day start like Paul's does here in Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, remember, that means he is an authoritative spokesperson for the living God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. A normal letter of Paul's day would start out saying, who is this letter from? And we see it's from Timothy and from Paul. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ Jesus at Colossae. The letter would often go on and say, who am I writing to? These are the people. Others may have read it, but this is who it's addressed to. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now there's some beautiful, rich things there. uh, Things that Paul probably did that nobody else did. But we really see the differences when we get to verse 3. Normally a letter, and you can look this up and, and see an example of it in Acts, Acts 15, 23. But a normal letter would say who it's from, who it's to, and then it would insert one word, greetings. Well, Paul is not content with doing anything small. If, if you spent some time in his letters, he just goes over the top and he is completely next level. He transforms that word greeting into the word we give thanks. And then instead of using one word, he goes on for the next 102 words in the Greek. One single sentence of thanksgiving. Okay? So if you came here wondering, I wonder if I can learn anything. Well, we've got an example here. We get to come alongside this guy that just goes on and on and on and on. Now, obviously, he caused his grammar teacher to struggle and things like that. 102 words. Yikes, break that up. And can't we just, anyway, he, he gives us something amazing. So let's take a careful look at that. 
as we do this, there are going to be three key things that we can take away in this half of the letter, or in this half of the prayer, and then there's going to be a second prayer that's also going to contain three things. And in the center of each is an amazing spiritual truth that God wants to give us. So let's look at verse 3. I'll read 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. He's still giving thanks here in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So before we kind of go into this section and try to understand this, there's a little bit that you need to know about the Colossian church. This is a unique church, just as every group is unique. Paul has probably not seen many of these believers face to face. You can look at chapter 2, verse 1, and see a little bit about that. And what happened was, Either Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul or maybe one of Paul's followers. And Epaphras went to this non-gospeled community and spoke the life-changing truth of the gospel. That Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died, and was the substitute payment on the cross for our sins. Faith in him brings us to God. So Epaphras spoke this truth and a whole body of truth, we'll see in a little bit to them, the truths of the gospel, and it transformed their lives. And Epaphras then went back to Paul and reported this. We get that privilege too from time to time. Global partners come in or share. Maybe they're they're living here and they share with us. This is what God is doing. Or maybe you hear it from Friends in your small group, the gospel's on the move in their workplace, or the gospel's on the move in other places, and we get to hear from them what God is doing. That's what happened here. He came back, and he also shared the needs of the church. So Paul picks up his pen and says, I want to rejoice in who these people are, and I also want to serve them for their ongoing good. So let's look at what he says in this extended sentence of thanksgiving. First, in verses 3 and 4, notice this. We always thank God. That's super simple, but often missed. I'll come back to that in a second. What? Look very carefully. What is he thanking God for? Specifically, he's thanking God for you. And in verse 4, since we heard of your faith and your love for all the saints... Very simple, often overlooked. This same opening also occurs in Ephesians, and our high school students are looking at that on Sunday mornings. And as I encountered some of these same truths and held them up to my life, I found myself often stuck in the cul-de-sac of warm feelings towards people. 
like I even walk around the sanctuary or I see some of you and my heart rejoices in who you are. But how often do I move out of that cul-de-sac into the highway of thanksgiving to God and say, God, thank you for them. Thank you that they believe in you, that they have faith in you, and that the love that's coming on to me that I'm experiencing and bumping into and being blessed by, thank you that you are the source of that. Are you on the lookout for that? As you interact with other believers, do you remind yourself of their story and say, God, thank you that this person spoke the gospel to them? Or let me just even back up a second. How many believers that you hang out do you even know their spiritual story? That's a convicting question for me. That's why we were rejoicing in the waters of baptism as we get to hear about God's work in somebody because it gives us something to give thanks for. And when you're blessed by others and they're helping you and you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit bless others and bless you, do you thank God for it? This is the first thing that Paul wants to teach us. Keep your eyes open. Ask God to help you see what is going on in their lives so that you can give thanks. Let's look at verse 5. This is the super stealth strategic shepherding thanksgiving. That's a lot of words. But just look at this with me. This is a hidden reality that's super explosive. This could help your thanksgiving and, and you might be thanking God for something you've never thanked him for before. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We need to understand what that means and then understand why he would even thank God for that uh, to, to catch his point. There's a hope laid up for you in heaven. How many of you have ever been to a concert or an event? Something that you were super excited about. Prior to it, perhaps you or somebody that you're going with says, I have the tickets. What does that mean? Well, probably they have some confirmation on their phone or actual paper tickets. And they're in their possession and something exciting is coming up. So there's an assurance of something that's coming up and I'm rejoicing that I have the tickets. What he's saying here is there is a hope that is secure in the massively secure vault, reserved, set aside for you, it's going to take place. It is laid up for you. It is on layaway, and yet the payment is already paid. It's laid up for you. So Paul is rejoicing and thanking God that there is a hope laid up for them. Okay, that's, that, that's great. Let's talk a little bit more about this specific Colossian church and why that might be helpful for them. Glance a little bit further down the page or onto the next page to Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And we're going we're gonna to catch a little bit of a curveball here. It's going to begin in verse 21, verse, chapter 1, verse 21. It's going to begin with some beautiful gospel truths, and then it's going to take a radical shift. Watch for it. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Praise the Lord. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's saying God wants to present you as a bride, a pure spotless bride before him. Here comes the curveball, verse 23. If, 
If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Well, Paul, which is it? You're rejoicing that this hope is laid up for them, but you're also calling them not to shift from their hope. Which is it? Both. This hope is laid up and secure, but this hope is also under attack. And throughout the letter, the main central body of the letter, he is trying to dismantle and get rid of and and destroy all sorts of different philosophies and things that were attacking their hope. Don't worry. Just stick with me. This is getting to Thanksgiving, and it's going to be amazing. He is talking about angels. There was, there was people who were worshiping angels, and, and the Colossian church was having their attention be moved there. Focus on worshiping angels, okay? Focus on visions. There were people who were all excited about their visions, and that was an exciting part. There was also a false mixture of Jewish and Christian teaching. Let's look specifically at that example. You can look at chapter 2, verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. See if this rings any bells with you or if you've experienced anything like this. Maybe not with these specific things, but if you've experienced any of this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Anybody in the last two years experienced anybody passing judgment on them? Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to festivals or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, this church amongst false teaching was also being judged by false teachers and saying, you're not doing it right. It's Christ plus a bunch of other things. You need to be careful about your festivals. You need to watch out about this. Food and drink, you need to be careful about that. Now, what does our hope have to do with our thanksgiving. You see, if our hope moves away from Jesus or starts to shift from Jesus to other things, we stop thanking him. If Jesus is deficient, why would I thank him? I want to thank this teacher that's shining brand new insight into me that I didn't see in the scriptures and I now need to be doing that. But that's a lie. Jesus plus nothing. So let me just ask you, where is your hope under attack? There are so many subtle attacks where we think we need to add things to Jesus. I simply made a mistake yesterday and all of a sudden I start feeling bad and like, oh, I just wish I could get my act together if I could only do it right. And my focus moves from you are perfect because you are united to Jesus Christ to it's about you and your performance. When our hope is under attack, our thanksgiving is under attack, and it just gets stopped up. We need grace from God to give thanks. So why is Paul a super strategic shepherd in giving thanks for those things in his prayer of thanksgiving? He's planting seeds of hope. He's modeling what they can and should be doing. We can do this too. And we we can both be convicted by this and find it to be a real blessing when the Spirit fills us for this. You know, sometimes when I pray for other people, 
I'm filled with belief that God will meet them. I know their need, and, and the scripture comes to mind, and it's like, God, I know this is who you are. They're not sure how you're going to meet their needs, but I am sure, because you've given me grace to believe it, that you will meet their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And yet there's other times when I pray where it's like, God, I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to show up and help them. It's those times where I need to pause and say, God, help me. Take me back into your word. Give me confidence again that I may hope in you, that they may hope in you. May you be our singular hope. Unite my heart to fear your name. Are you fearing anything else? Is there judgment around you getting your eyes onto anyone else? He thanks God for the hope laid up for them in heaven. Who are the people in your life? What do they need? Can you thank God that he will supply those things, that his word does address their things, and that he is their good shepherd? Let's move on to 6 through 8, which has come to you, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. Notice what he says about the gospel. As indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. Do you believe that's true? Do you have practical examples that you could turn to the person next to you and tell them about that? I'm guessing we probably need to do a little homework. As also it does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Who, what Christian mouthpiece can you thank God for today? What Paul is doing is he's saying, God's gospel is so powerful. It's so amazing that I'm thanking him for its worldwide work. You know, that's why we gather as ladies for women's and missions to hear directly from Global Partners, to talk with them about what's going on, and to pray for others so that we know and later can recognize when God has done that. Do you know that's why we gather as small groups? From in my small group, just this week, we had the privilege of hearing a several-year gospel-sharing thing and hearing about the fruits of somebody who's now a new believer. And we were able to stop and thank God for that. Are you doing that? Does that excite you to kind of stir that into your small group meetings? Are you talking in the hallways with people about what God is doing? Obviously, the Vikings are up and down, but God is on the move. We need to talk about those things so that we can thank God for those things. Let's move to the second part of his prayer, specifically uh, beginning in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So he transitions out of that massive sentence of thanksgiving into a prayer for them. And I want you to pay very careful attention. What is on his prayer list? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Put your finger under the word him. 
What's the punctuation there in the middle of verse 10? Notice it's a colon, so he's about to start a list here. Some of the things that will flesh out what it means to be fully pleasing to God. Something that fleshes out what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice these things. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who is qualified. Wait a second. Oftentimes we read past that. Giving thanks to the Father. What's on his prayer list? He's praying for this church to give thanks. We'll come back to that. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you notice when I paused what was on his prayer list? As I surveyed the prayers of Paul, and I certainly could have missed something, so please let me know if I did. um, This is the only place where Paul specifically prays that the church that he loves would grow in thanksgiving. Why would he do that? I think we can understand it as we look around it. And as we look around it in these verses, it will help us grow in thanksgiving. Look back to the middle of verse 10 after that colon. And let's look at these two sections and let's see, are we believing these things? Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. What does that make you think of? Jesus Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains or abides in me will bear much fruit. We bear fruit as God produces it in us, as he strengthens us, and it goes on to confirm that later in this verse. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Whose glorious might? God's glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. You see, just like us, the Colossian church is also very prone to self-reliance. Pastor Sam made this point very clear, very helpfully. Pride kills thanksgiving. And this church was, again, interacting with false teachers who wanted to push them to a place where this is about you. Get your act together. Do it yourself. Look at verse Colossians 2.19 if you want to glance over there. Or just listen to me. Colossians 2.19. This is talking about the false teachers and what they were not doing. Colossians 2.19. They are not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? Notice, capital H, head, Jesus. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. A growth that is from God. Do you realize that your growth in Christ is from God? To the extent that we see that it's God is the extent that we will thank Him for it. To the extent that we are deceived that it is about us, we won't thank anybody. We don't often thank ourselves for things. Have you noticed that? Oh, man, thank you for feeding me. Thank you. We don't do that. 
We must see that it's from God. And this church and each of us are prone to believe that it's from us, that we are the source. And yet that is not the case. We should be like Paul. There are several different realities, but one in chapter 1, verse 29, he uses these words. He's an example to this church by saying, I toil, struggling with all his energy, that's Jesus' energy, that he, Jesus Christ, powerfully works within me. That's the way that we are to think if we are to have a heart that is overflowing with thanksgiving. You see, here's how it works. When God calls us to something and we step out in obedience, we must rely on God to show up and help us. I need to have this hard conversation with somebody. I know you're calling me to this. I want to be gracious. I'm going to step out knowing that you will strengthen me, you will help me, and you will uphold me in, with your righteous right hand. God, I'm, I'm going to do this. I absolutely need you. And then when we do it and he helps us, then our hearts overflow with thanksgiving. That's how he's designed it to work, that he might receive the honor. So let me ask you to pause and consider, where is self-reliance suppressing your thanksgiving? Finally, we have a very beautiful section in the end uh, of this paragraph. Look with me at verse 12. We'll start again at the giving thanks for the Father. And really specifically, what does he want them to give thanks for? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. These are beautiful gospel truths that you can hear for the first time and believe today or hear again and be reminded of them and rejoice in them right now. Just pause over those four words. Who has qualified you? Have you thought about Jesus that way lately? Jesus, thank you that you have qualified me. I don't qualify myself. Thank you that you have qualified me. We're supposed to give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here we go with inheritance again. Verse 13, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Have you thought about that truth recently? Do you know, unbeliever, that you are in the domain of darkness? And do you know, believer, that you have been transferred out of that domain of darkness? Look into the scriptures. Let your soul be stirred by the reality that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and not just dead. We were like zombies, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is scary. Spiritually dead, alive physically, spiritually dead, following Satan and energized by him to do wicked things. And not only that, we were carrying out the desires of our bodies. We were following the passions of the flesh. We absolutely needed to be rescued. 
Thank you, God, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Do you remember or do you know that you are in the domain of darkness? Look to Christ. Praise Christ. Transferred us out of the, to the kingdom of his beloved son. Welcomed in as enemies into the kingdom of his beloved son. And being united to Jesus Christ, which is what the next section is about, we become beloved of God because we are in the beloved. Astounding. It's there in verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. There is freedom. There is canceling of debt in Christ. And what Paul wants his church to do is to give thanks to the Father who has given them all these gifts. Give thanks to the triune God for these good gifts. Praise Jesus for these good gifts. So let's think about this a little bit. That's a lot. That's a lot. Here's what I'd like to invite you to do this week and into the future. I'd like to invite you to add patterns into your life that stir up thanksgiving. Many of you will participate in a thanksgiving feast of food. I want to invite you to prepare and partake in a spiritual thanksgiving feast with others. Here's what I mean by that. Prepare. If you were to move ahead, and you can just jot this down or put your finger here for later. If you were to move ahead in Colossians to Colossians 3.17, it talks about the same truth that we just sang about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need to go to God's word to see things. You can go back to this passage and see, God, what am I supposed to give you thanks for? which leads to singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. And notice it's with other people. Paul even gives at the end of this prayer in the letter that they will hold in their hand and that you have the privilege of holding in your hand. Thank God for his word. Not everybody has his word, which you can hold in your hand. Scriptures to remind us, oh, I've been qualified. I've been delivered. I have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Go to his word. We can also follow the example of Paul and talk to people like Epaphras. You maybe don't have a friend with that cool of a name, but you can talk to other people in this body and say, what is God doing? What did God do in you so that you can be stirred up to give thanks for his unseen, spiritual, amazing gifts? Look for fruit. Look for fruit. Look for evidences of grace. Oh, I see that in you. Or, oh, as I think about you, I know that you're like this because God has given you these gifts. Be on the lookout for that. Prepare, think, look, and pray for eyes to see. Paul prays that these believers would grow in thanksgiving. We should pray the same, and we should pray for others around us. Prepare. Then, with others, join with them. Maybe you meet a friend at a coffee shop and you share some of the things that you're thankful for. You ask them, this is the perfect season. So what are you thanking God for? This can be a believer or an unbeliever. What a perfect door that God may open for the gospel just to talk to somebody as you're making lattes right next to them at Caribou. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? 
thankful for anything special this year? And you can use some of the things that you've prepared to thank them. You know what I'm really thankful for? That God is my shepherd. They look at you, what? Well, let me tell you about that. It's so precious that Jesus is my shepherd. And you can talk with them about that. With others. Paul not only prayed with others in the opening section, we give thanks, but he also shared his thanksgiving with others by writing them a letter and telling them what he was thankful for. We are supposed to do this in community. Your small group can do this. You can add this in as an every so often thing to thank God for things. Finally, move towards and participate in a feast, whether it's a one-on-one coffee shop, in your own prayer to God, through evangelism, in song, which we're just about to sing a song that will allow us as this worship team, week in and week out, prepares a feast of thanksgiving for us to focus our attention on gospel truth. We can sing together. You may even want to do that at your Thanksgiving meal. Several years ago, my wife um, created this Thanksgiving tree thing, and we had these little notes that we hung on this tree, and every person just wrote, filled out a little sentence, what are you thankful for? So the biggest blessing about that is now maybe eight, ten years um, later, I still have the little cards, my grandparents who are with Jesus Christ in heaven, I still have the cards of what they wrote and they were thankful for those years ago. What are you thankful for? How can you lead others around you to be thankful? Whether it's at a meal or in a small group or just with a friend. May God give us grace to go to his word, to see the beautiful unseen realities with his help and affirm them, to give thanks for them in the community of others. If you would like to dig more into this passage, see, oftentimes I think we think, well, the sermon is sort of done, and now I'm done with that. I want the sermon to be a launching pad for you. We put questions online uh, that allow you to kind of think through things, and what I've tried to do this week, although they are posted on Tuesday, what I, what I try to do this week is to ask specific questions that help you connect the truths of Paul to ways you can give thanks. And if you're eager to do that right away, there's some copies of that out at the information booth. May God give us grace to create a feast of thanksgiving and enjoy it. Please pray with me. Father, we need you to help us. We need you to awaken our souls to see and to give thanks. There is so much joy. Thank you that Pastor Sam caused our minds to see so many beautiful things and beautiful rewards of this would you take us to these spiritual places and give us grace to give you thanks would you cause our honor of you in thanksgiving to overflow unto other believers for their encouragement and onto the lost and onto the next generation that we are mentoring spiritually with our lives Father, as we sing this song, would you further tighten, focus our hope on Jesus Christ alone? And would you help us to pray and sing from the heart that the gifts 
the activities of faith that we carry out are from you, done through you, and may they give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.